so your name is uh, Kashmira? Kashmira. Kashmira, yes. And you're in South Africa? Yeah, I am. Okay. Where in South Africa? Durban. Where? Durban, on the East Coast. Jabin, I'm not familiar with that. D with a D, Durban. Durban, uh-huh. I'll get Google out and check it out. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, very beautiful place. Yeah. Yes, I like beautiful places. I see I you are in Thailand in one of the most beautiful places in the world. Uh, well, this particular island is known for that also. That's this, is Ko this is Pangan. It's an outer island, um, which means that the other side of the island has to weather all the storms that come in from the Pacific Ocean. But on this side of the island, all we get is just really heavy rain and a lot of lightning. Well, sometimes oh. the wind, but and yeah. the and the water, um, but it's also far enough from the mainland that we have other island resorts between us and the mainland, and so that makes this kind of the hippies' last resort, Bill. For <laughs> um, so there's yoga places and meditation and all of that kind of new agey stuff is what yeah. this island is known for. Okay, wow. So it definitely sounds wonderful. It sounds like the perfect place to be. That's amazing. Okay. Um, so let's start from the beginning uh, in the sense that the entire teachings of the Buddha is based upon one little phrase that he says. We can pack the whole show into a tiny little box of three words. Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda is the language that the Buddha used. But we can basically, what that says is, is that uh, Dukkha and Dukkha Naroda means Dukkha and the end of Dukkha, or defining dukkha correctly is more dissatisfaction than total full-on suffering. That suffering is certainly dissatisfying, but there's a whole lot of stuff that we would consider dissatisfying that we wouldn't consider suffering that we're willing almost always to put up with it. Absolutely, I can totally relate to that. Okay, so you don't see your anxiety, for instance, as suffering. It's something that you're still willing to put up with. Yeah. All right. So basically, then, the teachings of the Buddha is, is that if the student can begin to see more deeply into the nature of the dukkha, the unsatisfactory part of it, they recognize that, oh, that makes their whole life unsatisfactory, especially right now. Absolutely, absolutely. And that if we can bring ourselves into a state of satisfaction and then start um, practicing doing that over and over again and then learning to maintain being in a state of satisfaction, then that's a different way of doing it than we have all along because what we've been doing all along is basically, and there's a long story I'll tell you about it eventually, 
but we basically have been talking ourselves into feeling bad. Yeah. yeah. And we do that with judgmental mind. In, in fact, the idea is, is that if you're going to say right and wrong and up and down and what's good and bad, then that means that you have, if you find good, you must therefore also find bad in order to compare the good with. Yes. So the issue is the comparisons. If we stop comparing things and just let them be as they are without in relationship to other things, and we stop making judgments and everything winds up being okay. Mm. All right. But we have to remember that because we're in such a bad habit of going around judging, saying, I like this and I like that, and I don't like this and I don't like that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, actually, Alushan and I have spoken about this in depth and uh, the whole. Um, the paradox of morality and, uh, you know, the, the idea of good and bad being totally human-made concepts. Um, so it's definitely, I completely agree with you with all of that. I think the problem that I find is um, I judge myself more readily, even though I can understand that these are just judgments. It still happens. It still happens continually on a daily basis. I'll be wondering if I'm doing the right thing. Am I saying the wrong thing? Is there, you know? And so then I, when I make these judgments, that's when I have that anxiety. Right. In fact, that's exactly the correct way of doing it is that you become full of doubt because you don't know what's good and what's bad. Yes, yes. But when you understand the nature of reality, which in case we will talk about in great detail, but when you come to the understand and see clearly the nature of reality, the, the, the doubt disappears. And what a relief that is to be free from the burden of doubt. I can only imagine. Yes, that in fact, doubt is a major, major hindrance, and it's also a major obstacle to the path. Yeah, yeah. And so imagine. dealing with one's doubt is uh, part of the path. Absolutely. Okay. And also you can say that, in fact, the doubt is actually the source of the anxiety anyway. In the, like. in the following way, that doubt, the, the underlying cause of the doubt uh, or the reason that doubt is uncomfortable, because doubt need not be uncomfortable. You can be unsure of something, and that's okay. I don't know what the hell they're talking about. I don't care. All right. So, uh, not knowing or uh, being in doubt is not the issue. The fact is that we don't like it. We wow. don't like being in doubt. Yeah. And the reason we don't like being in doubt is because the underlying feeling then is fear. Yes. That yeah. the doubt arises because there's an underlying feeling of fear, but that same underlying feeling of fear is what gives rise to anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's where anxiety and doubt are related, is that they are the children of fear. Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically it's be having to conquer that fear that you eliminate the doubt. Or better still, well, just lay down beside it and take a nap. What's that? I said, you don't have to conquer fear. You can just lay down beside it and take a nap. <laughs> okay, okay. 
So how does that? That's I think that's where I'm I'm trying to figure out um, how to deal what with what I things. mean by that is, is don't be afraid of fear. Make make it into a friend. Allow the fear that you have to be real and wise and knowledgeable and correct at the right time and not always a bunch of false positives. There is a use and a value for fear. Use it wisely. Okay, so basically not attack my own fear. Not right, don't, yeah, because to... there you go judging again. See, I don't even see myself doing that. Okay. That awareness I need to, is something I need to, to, to be able to work on as well. All right. Now, one of the important qualities then about this concept of dukkha, seeing the dukkha, and dukkha naroda, is, is that um, by seeing the danger, by seeing the dissatisfaction in it, that shall give us a kind of energy or even enthusiasm to practice correctly to come out of dukkha in general. Okay, that once we begin to see dukkha, you're going to begin to, if you start waking up to it truly, you're going to see a whole lot more of it than you thought. Or you're going to be seeing all the new old things in new ways and seeing all the dukkha buried in there and some people get really disgusted with that, but then they have to look at that disgust too as something that they don't need. Okay. Well, I am more aware of my thoughts um, since I started on this journey. I am much, much more aware of my thoughts. I'm much more aware of discursive thoughts, um, but then I also tend to punish myself for having those thoughts. So it's it sometimes tends to be a bit of a cycle. Well, except that you haven't woke, you may have woken up that these are discursive thoughts, but you haven't woken up enough to get out of them, nor to get out of the hating them. And so there you are beating yourself for having the thoughts, and you have neither escaped the thoughts themselves nor the beating thereof on them. Yeah. Okay, and so here you are being judgmental again of yourself. Yeah, it's just really like hard I warned. Yes, this is the, and it raises all the doubt and all of that kind of stuff. So there's a new way of practicing, but we have to make a choice to do it because the old habit is, is to continue on. Yeah. the old way because it's comfortable and easy and um, yeah, like the only it only brings a little bit of discomfort and it's not all of that bad anyway okay yeah yeah and so it all does hinge upon how good of uh clear sight do you have into the what is suffering and what is not suffering because the easier you can see it the easier it is to actually get rid of it because um, it's, it's like things build up. They build up in mind moments and they build up through the mind moments so that if we can catch stuff early, then we can throw it out easy. 
It's like it really is easy to take out one garbage, little little garbage bag of, of garbage than it is to carry out, you know, a whole kitchen full of garbage. That's what I'm finding out. I feel like I've let this whole thing accumulate over so much of years and it's now resulted in the anxiety I'm feeling. As you said, I mean, it's just dissatisfaction. We're willing to concede and accept um, but then it builds up to a point where it becomes full on suffering, the anxiety that I'm feeling now, the sensations that I'm feeling now. And it's, it, it comes to this point where it's just bubbling up and I have to do something about it. I have to address it, but now it's a lot of garbage to take out. <laughs> Actually, let's use the analogy of the camel You've heard about the straw that breaks the camel's back? Yes. Do you know how a straw can break the camel's back? When it's reached its limits. Because it's one too many. Yes. Okay. It's already reached the point of too many. And the camel turns around and he says, hey, man, I am all the way finished with all of this and I can't stand it anymore. And here you come back putting more stuff on me and I quit. And so does the spine. <laughs> all right. So in that regard, what we can begin to do then is that we only need to take one straw at a time off the camel. Okay. Every time we remember to take one straw off, and what straw are we going to take off? The very straw that we would be putting on the camel's back if we didn't watch what we were doing. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Okay. And so by being aware that we're going to stop feeding this beast, we're going to stop loading down the camel with old stuff, we begin then by, by every time that we see that and we don't do it, we begin to change the habit. Okay. And meanwhile, the old stuff begins to rot away on its own. You've got a friend talking to you there. Yes. <laughs> she's a puppy. She thinks she's a god dog. Um, so she always tends to... Be very attentive. I just want to let her out and let her go and see what's. Okay, go do that. <laughs> Thank you. She's my angel. But anyway, yes, I completely understand if we remove um, one straw at a time rather than trying to let go of all of it in one go. Mm -hmm. Because then it feels kind of overwhelming to us. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. But we can figure out we can take one one at a time off, which is just this one. Okay. Yeah. And so the, the teaching of the Buddha is very, very much oriented in the here now, right now, what's going on. Are you piling onto that camel or are you unloading that camel? That's the question. 
And another way of doing it or thinking about it is, is are the thoughts that we're having right now, are they wholesome or are they not wholesome? Yes. Yeah. Because there's in fact two different kinds of thoughts. And that is the kinds of thoughts that when we have them, we don't feel so great. We're not quite aware. We're not alert. Uh, questions um, uh, that don't have answers bring up doubts, confusion, um, thoughts about dangerous things, thoughts about who am I and what is the future and what was the past and how can I clean it up and all of these kinds of thoughts are actually unwholesome thoughts. Uh, and they're not what the Buddha would call uh, wise attention. But when we do pay wise attention or we do have wholesome thoughts, then the wholesome things increase. So then what In the would be wholesome thoughts? The wholesome oh, thoughts would well, be uh, the things that would increase would be joy and satisfaction and comfort and security and safety and a feeling of satisfaction and a feeling of uh, success. And then eventually a feeling of wealth. Absolutely, you've got so much joy and so much satisfaction, you, it just spills out all over you. And you feel wealthy with the Dhamma, wealthy with being alive. Everything is just really, really good. I feel like there are periods where I do experience exactly as you described, where I feel like there is nothing that I crave, where I feel like I'm surrounded by everything that I could ever need in this one moment. There are, there are times where I have this experience and it's usually when I'm totally out of my mind, I'm doing something um, that I'm immersed in and I don't feel judged. I don't feel like I need to meet a standard. I don't feel like I need to be answerable to anyone or anything. Um, and weirdly enough, it's usually when I'm in the kitchen. <laughs> so I'm in the kitchen. Um, I usually have music playing and I'm cooking. And that's where I can just totally let go. And I, I promise you in that moment, there's nothing. There's no other place I would want to be on earth at that point. A, there are other aspects to that that we can look at and that one of them is is that you're, you had the mind occupied with the cooking, that you were looking at what you were doing, you were in your sensory awareness and you were in the moment. There you were, okay? And that you were not caught up in the past uh, thinking about and worrying about all your worries. You were in the moment. So yeah. we need to cultivate that beyond just the cooking. That's it. That's that's what I want to do. That's that's what I'm hoping to do is okay. experience that feeling outside of my own space. All right. Well, we can do that because that's actually the practice of Anapanasati. That's the opening. Okay. okay. And it, it takes enthusiasm built upon the fact that we can actually see the dukkha, which means that it's almost like a multi-stage rocket in the sense that things happen in phases. As, and as you wake up, 
that's almost like a booster for you to get even more enthusiastic about what you're doing because you know that it works. You can see that it works and it's like, hot dog, look at what I've been doing all this time and I didn't even know it. How competitive I was with other people is a, as an example. Or how anxiety drives everything. Okay. Uh, one of the uh, items of anxiety for some that are in a very much of a hurry up that any tiny little mistake that is made puts the person into a hurry up situation so that they can get rid of that and then go and do it right in the same amount of time that it took them to do it wrong and then right is how much of time you now have to do it you know that was right okay an example of that would be that <clears throat> sending a message to you I sent it to Danny instead. Recognizing that I had sent it to Danny because his was up on screen, I had to then copy the message and then take it to yours and paste it and then come back to Danny's and remove the message that I'd sent to him. Can you do that without any anxiety? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> You're always trying to do it fast enough so that, okay, I don't want him to see it and get the wrong idea. And I want Cash to see it and, you know, get the right idea. It all has to happen. It all has to sync up. So there, there is that, that, that little mm -hmm. mind thing that happens there. Another example is, is that you're on a way to appointment. You've made sure that you've got plenty of time to get there. And along the way, you recognize that the most important prize document that you were taking with you, you left at home or your cell phone or something that's so important. Now you've got to turn around, go back home, get it, get back in the car and get to your office before the time allowed. So now you're racing and you're breaking the law and you're being crazy with your car. So this is what anxiety will do to us. It'll get us killed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so Whenever the anxiety comes, instead of going with the anxiety, we stop and we say, okay, instead of you getting me in a hurry to get this thing done, right now the number one thing is look at that anxiety. And so I can take a deep breath and say, you know something, I'm going to do what I was anxious to do only after the anxiety is through. Okay. And we can wait 10 seconds, 15 seconds. And then send that message. Or whatever. Yeah, I think the, the, the issue that I have is that sometimes my anxiety is so, well, it, it feels like it's so bad that it just leaves me frozen. So I it have runs to your life and, and it runs your life not when it feels so bad. It runs your life when you're not, but just half paying attention to it. That's when yeah. it really gets you. Yeah, because it's running your life then. In fact, it's only when you're resisting it that it feels so strong. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It's like an automatic response to resist it. So mm -hmm. I don't know any other. Because you don't like it. Yeah. And so you resist it. Okay. 
So the new way of doing it is to kind of accept it as a friend is trying to teach you something. Okay. So but right now I don't I've learned his lesson. Thank you very much. Down boy. So forgive the anxiety, basically. Yeah, well, yeah, if you want to speak in those terms. But forgiving something means that the anxiety is wrong in some way and you're better than it in some way. And so therefore you're forgiving it for being bad or wrong. Or in fact, if there's any forgiveness, is for you to call it wrong. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So then, as you said, rather it's just embracing it, understanding its role, and as you said, down boy. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't need to be reacting right now. It doesn't need to be uh, trying to protect me like how my puppy was trying to protect me right now. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a down boy it was a reference to your your dog, your puppy. <laughs> yeah, this these, these mm -hmm. perceived threats, basically our anxiety flares up um, due to these perceived threats. And so we need to basically uh, have this conversation with ourselves and explain that it's not a threat. So it's okay to be calm. Is that what it is? All right, let's put it in this language. That we've already talked about wholesome versus unwholesome thoughts or wholesome and unwholesome language. Yeah. Um, let's look at that from the perspective of critical language is unwholesome and nurturing language is wholesome. So everything is all right. Everything is fine. What a wonderful day. Plenty of sunshine coming my way. This is wholesome language. Oh, you screwed up. Oh, change that thing really quick before Danny sees that you sent a message that doesn't need to go to him. Right? Yeah, so that's the critical mind. Or when the dog barks, it is distracting because the dog shouldn't uh, be um, interrupting a, a Skype call. Yes. You, yes. You hear all of those shoulds and woulds and could. I mean, it's okay with me. The dog is barking. <laughs> I don't care. I don't think anybody else does either. That's going to see the video. Only you care. Okay. Yeah. So that should and that would is something that um, I need to accept. So there's no should and there's would. It's just everything is okay. In the teachings of the Buddha, this is actually called um, a, a major fetter that has to be given up early in practice. And in the Pali language, that fetter is called Simabhata Paramasa. And you can hear it start off with the word sila, which is actually the word morality. But basically what we're talking about is, is that we are attached to our version of morality, that we know what is right and wrong, and we use it sometimes as a bludgeon to bludgeon other people, and sometimes as a bludgeon to bludgeon ourselves. 
It's a weapon. Morality is a weapon. It's been weaponized. It's weaponized in politics to get people angry so that they'll go vote. Yeah, it's basically, okay. yes, it's like a tool of control. Okay, so that feeling of right and wrong or good or bad actually then winds up being, uh, in nations' cases, laws, rules, rituals, ceremonies, and inside each one's own mind, the shoulds and woulds and coulds, and this is how it's supposed to be, and isn't life supposed to be wonderful and beautiful, and oops, it's not, I've got a problem here, I've got a fix. Instead of just recognize everything is hunky-dory, even when it's there, that thing that I didn't like, and I'll start looking at my I don't like it instead of looking at it as a problem. I think that's a very big distinction. It's that we think things should be a certain way. Like even now with my anxiety, like um, I should try to cut my anxiety or eliminate it or solve it or it's like it's like a problem to solve but as you said I should actually try and befriend it there is no should it's just a matter of welcoming it and accepting every moment of it well anxiety just like every wild animal will run away when you chase it okay okay but if you can make friends with it Find out what it is, you can take control over it, take power over it. To let it be your friend, your ally, your companion. Yeah. Someone who cooperates with you instead of someone who is uh, uh, someone that you're trying to beat and, and stab and jerk out and remove and hate and don't like. And that makes it really strong because, I mean, there's a part of you that's really, oh, don't attack me, please don't attack me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So this is the way of the teaching of the Buddha is to begin to see how we create dukkha for ourselves. And one of the ways that we do is by deciding what should be done and then for trying to bring that about. This is a major problem then with uh, students of meditation uh, because they then want things out of meditation. And because they want things that they don't have and they expect meditation to deliver, they wind up not getting out of meditation what they could right then and there. And later they're disappointed because they never did get what they wanted out of meditation because they weren't practicing it. A lot of people have the idea that after 10,000 or 100,000 hours of meditation, the comma machine and the hula hoop or something is going to waltz in there and use Shaktipat and bless the meditator and then he's going to feel good. So ideally, we should not have an expectation out of meditation. Actually, you should have a great deal of expectation in this very moment. I expect you to smile right now. <laughs> you did. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Okay. Okay. So the expectation is, is that we can drop that drudgery and lighten up right now. And there's a lot of different things that we can tell ourselves. The one that the Buddha used that I always want to tell uh, uh, students and they can reference it 
is that the Buddha used the term, aha, I see you, Mara, which means I can see that unwholesome thought, or I can see those thoughts that lead to doubt and anxiety and all of that kind of stuff. I can see that judgment. I can see me harassing me. And by being able to see that stuff, this is what the sati or the wake up and the investigation is all about. Now, in many systems, they have that you just have to see that stuff. But really, the Buddha recommends that, no, we really do talk about wholesome and unwholesome thoughts as something that should be done immediately upon recognizing that these thoughts are unwholesome. We're going to replace them with something wholesome. And some kids say or some students say, well, you know, that's really hard to do. Once I get into a particular tune or something, I just hang on to it over and over and over. The answer is no, that's that's not true. That's not at all true that the mind is freely associating in this mind moment does not necessarily connect to the next nine moment. And that's quite natural. And then, in fact, if you've got something that that keeps recurring over and over again, waking up to it can happen also over and over again. And now you're building the skill of waking up to each recurring thought that's an unwholesome thought. Aha, I can see you now. Oh, I see you again. Oh, there you come again. Aha, I see you. Okay. And this is the skill that we develop is, aha, I see you is a gladdening way of of talking about it. It's um, Gawanka uh, is very famous teacher throughout the world. Uh, and that the meditation courses have him, but a lot of the warmth seems to have not come through with the videos. But I remember well him sitting there with the phrase over and over and over again. His phrase was, never mind start again like oh yeah never mind i see that stuff start Uh, again yeah yeah. never mind start again so this is what we have as the beginning of our practice is to start deciding with enthusiasm i'm going to start having wholesome thoughts and i'm not going to allow myself to have so many unwholesome thoughts that i'm going to wake up to that stuff and when i do it's going to be very easy to put a stop to it. If I don't wake up to it, it will roll on and on and on and on. I think this is something I tend to forget, and I'm very sure other people do as well, is that each moment has the potential for you to actually wake up into. Like generally what happens with with anxiety and when we when we wake up and then we're like, oh, but you know, I, I'm back in it again and how did I end up getting here? But each moment well, wake up to that, that too. Wake up to yeah, that. Yeah, it has the potential <laughs> for you to actually wake up again. And that's what I'm saying. We tend to forget that that's a possibility. It always feels like once we're in it and you know, like once the anxiety settles us again, it's just as if it's 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 dragging us down again. But mm-hmm. it's not. There's no such thing as that. It's just purely Recognizing you just it choose it, to chase it. Yeah, yeah. So now you every can choose to not. Now you can... <laughs> yeah, so you chase it, and you can choose to not chase it. Okay. okay. So, oh, there's a, there it is again. I see that. And yeah. then you can do something more wholesome. One of the wholesome things to do is to take a really deep breath. Okay. 
But let me back up just a second before we go into the deep breathing. I wanted to point out to you that we have now taken the eight, uh, the, uh, the little statement the Buddha made, Dukkha, Dukkha, Naroda, kind of unpacked it into the Four Noble Truths of this is Dukkha, these are the causes of Dukkha, you can get out of Dukkha, and now we've already begun talking about this is the path that we take, or this is the method that we use. And so the first thing that we were talking about is to wake up to it. So that number two, you can investigate it and see it as unwholesome thought. Okay, these are points of the Eightfold Noble Path, right view and right sati to wake up. And now we're going into right effort. That you have to take the right effort to do something about it. And that uh, one of the ways of thinking about this is that this is... Uh, it's stated in the Pali this way, it's karma that leads to the end of karma, or action that leads to the end of action. Okay? It's not the kind of action that keeps the, the action going. Proliferating, yes. It's an action that leads to the end of action. Now, there's one of, there are many different little examples in reality of that. One would be that the police, all they have to do is just put a roadblock up and look how much traffic they can stop on a busy freeway. They can bring that whole freeway to a stop by just putting two little cars out, just moving them that much, just a little bit of action, and all of a sudden, won't they have stopped a whole lot of action? Okay, and so we also think of it like that. Um, let us say that you've got a crane with a hook, and that hook is around a, a, a hoist that's got a really, really huge weight on it. Okay, and if that crane lifts that hoist up, it's going to have a lot of work to do because that thing's very heavy. But if they can just lift it up just this much to move it off the hook, then the train can go up without any trouble at all. It's not not hooked to that heavy weight anymore. Okay, so that's the kind of way that we're looking about taking um, a little bit of action that results in us getting out of a whole lot of work that we thought we had to do. Okay, that's a wonderful way to think about it. Mm-hmm. An example then with that would be that when, uh, let us say that you were standing on the highway, just standing there because that's the story, and you see a great big truck barreling down upon you, perhaps a great big unwholesome thought or something. Now, there's three ways to handle it. One is is to stand there in the road and let it run over you, which is what most people do most of the time. Yeah, that's what it feels like it's been doing all this time. (laughs) It runs right over you, right. And then there is the staunch old meditator professional that pulls out a Popeye. You know Popeye the Sailor Man? Yes, okay, yes. and he puts his great Down big fist up there and he says, I'm going to stop this thing. <laughs> and he gets run over too. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. he's putting out a lot of effort and the other one is not putting out any effort at all. Yeah. But here we are going to put out the right effort and the right effort is just stand out of the way. Just step aside. Just stand out of the road. We don't need to be in the road anyway. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just step aside and let it let it pass. It's not a problem. Let it go. So it's the correct efforts that make the most uh, have, that have the most effect. Basically, I don't have to be run over. 
essentially. <laughs> exactly. So you do not have to be run over by either your thoughts or your anxiety. All you have to do is see them in advance and then step aside. Never mind, I don't need that. And if, and if there's a lot of traffic, you can say never mind with each vehicle. You can just say never mind, I don't need that one. But in fact, that's the skill that we want to develop. That's the exact the skill that we want to develop is to wake up to those things very quickly and move them aside. So you're going to begin to see a lot of stuff. And that's, that's good and that's wholesome. So one of the ways then to talk about it again is, is that here you have been all your uh, many, many years, ever how old you are, with thoughts that you let be there without um, putting them on guard or putting into a category of whether they were wholesome or unwholesome. So you've got a mixture, just there's any, any kind of thing goes. But you wound up with so much unwholesome thoughts that keep on and on and on and on. Leading so therefore, up. when now you can see those things, why would you feel bad? Because you've been doing it already all of this time. Why get upset when you can see the negative thoughts? You're see, in fact, what's really happening is that you're waking up. You're waking up. Hey, that's marvelous. You can begin to see things now that you didn't see before. So congratulations for that. So instead of feeling bad and upset because now we say, I didn't realize how much crap there was there. <laughs> we can say, hey, I saw that one too. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay, now sense. in this, what's happening is something marvelous is going on. And that is, is that you're very slowly, very uh, surely, though, changing your attitude from the, from the loser of the one who is under the pressure of all of these negative thoughts into the champion, the one who can now manage thoughts and decide that you're going to think what you want to think and you two can begin um, to feel the way you want to feel, that you don't have to feel the way that you're in the habit of feeling. You can begin to feel the way you want to feel. So Your choice. And it, and, and it takes practice. Yeah. These are skills to be developed. Yeah. Okay, and so I wanted today to give you the basic foundation and that the most important quality then at, at this point is for your enthusiasm to practice. That if you're willing to do this, you will get good results. Yeah. And that you will gain more enthusiasm if you practice correctly and you'll feel like an avalanche of crap just dumped on you if you don't have that enthusiasm. Yeah, I know. It's, it basically, it's a self-reinforcing uh, behavior, so to speak. You, it's rewarding because, you know, you're actually gaining some benefit from it. So you'll want to, you'll want to, you'll be motivated to do it. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that a lot of students don't understand is, is that, let's say it this way, a thought moment is actually very quick. We can think of a thought moment in down in the realm of about 10 a second, 10 thought moments a second. That's about how their mind operates, and we can see that. Uh, in systems like um, reaction time performances. Uh, there's the simple one is, is that they change the screen from red to green 
And then how long did it take you to click that mouse? And most people can do it in about 200 milliseconds. Well, 200 milliseconds is just two thought moments. One is to recognize that it turned from red to green. And then the second thought moment was to press the mouse button. The click. So that was done in two, 200 milliseconds. That's um, what the humans are capable of doing. People can train to get faster than that. Black belt karate and Olympic champions and those kind of people and meditators can do pretty good at this. I would believe so. Mm -hmm. That extreme level of control, being able to catch those millisecond thoughts. Uh-huh. So how fast are you to start catching all of these mind moments? Because you'll begin to see how many of them you spend in negative thoughts. As opposed to now you're going to start building that up so that you begin to change that scale by having more and more and more positive thoughts, thoughts of nurturing, thoughts of isn't this nice, thoughts of, hey, you've just saw that. Hey, we can do this now. We can change our attitude. Yes, we can change. These are all positive thoughts. So there's a whole world of thoughts, positive thoughts that you can have. Uh, or let us not say positive, but rather wholesome. Because some positive thoughts are not necessarily wholesome, mm -hmm. especially when you put an we ought to in front of it. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So we should aim for wholesome thoughts throughout okay. the day. So it's a practice of getting out of our unwholesome thoughts into wholesome thoughts over and over and over again and taking a deep breath, oxygenating the body and, and beginning to feel good. This is the four points of the Eightfold Noble Path that we begin practicing on. And I'll spend just a little bit of a moment to go back to the issue of Sila. Yeah. And that is, is that when someone practices the Eightfold to Noble Path to a point to where they have unremitting mindfulness in the sense that they can come in and be awake to whatever's going on when they need it. They can wake up and they can do this over and over again and they feel very confident. They have uh, all of the factors of the uh, Sambo Jhana. Yeah. Then... Um, the mind becomes what we would call organized or unified in the following ways. One is, is this, this kind of individual doesn't have any conflicts of interest. He doesn't rob Peter to pay Paul, doesn't want things in the future, and doesn't go robbing people or killing people to get what he wants. Or he doesn't hate people, so he doesn't have to take revenge. He stopped taking revenge. And because of that, his morality is top quality. Not perfect. We don't look at perfect. But it's top quality. And it has the additional benefit that it wasn't derived from Sila. It wasn't derived from Sila Bhatta. It's derived from noble-mindedness. When the mind is free and pure... Our behavior is excellent, and everybody can see that. So basically, the morality is not arising from fear. It's not arising from fear of judgment. It's not arising from fear of consequence. It's purely because a person is feeling complete in every in every sense. 
you're already complete. Exactly. You've already got what you need. So that's the feeling that you that you want to cultivate is that feeling of you've already got everything. You're already whole. You're already complete. You're already enlightened. You don't need anything. You're whole and secure and complete and satisfied and successful at being able to do that because most people can't. Feeling successful at being satisfied, now that's really top quality. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. That is definitely something worth uh, pursuing, worth having. Okay. Well, now you know the goal. The thing of it is, is that today we're not going to give so much of a formal meditation discussion, but rather just give you the idea of what doing, because in fact, you don't need to have a formal practice so much as you need to remember to do this. It, in fact, the formal practice is all about bringing up your skill of sati, to keep remembering and remembering and remembering and remembering. So now you can start living your life remembering. You don't have to feel bad. You can remember that you, you're okay already. There's nothing to feel bad about. There's nothing to feel bad about, exactly that you're already okay. These are the kind of wholesome thoughts to give yourself. Okay. The Buddha was that's called, and he called himself a lion. Now that's right attitude for you. He was on top of everything. Mm -hmm. Wow. So develop the feeling of being a lion heart, that you're strong inside. You can handle anything. You're a tough girl. Especially you can handle your own anxiety. It's just a toy. It is just a toy, absolutely. And it's not me. And it's not you. That's right. You are not anxiety. It's just a feeling. Yeah, it's just a feeling. One of the many, many, many different feelings we all experience. All right. So remember that you can feel good. Keep thinking about that over and over again. Remember this conversation that I've had with you. Put it into practice recognize for yourself that this is beneficial and that your enthusiasm will start to grow. Okay. okay? And then call me back in a couple of days and uh, we'll talk again. Yes. Okay? We will. Thank you so much, sir. It's been very wonderful speaking to you. I've enjoyed it myself. I like <laughs> talking to students. And I'm already feeling a bit more wholesome, put it that way. Just Excellent. from this conversation. Yes, I, I'm here to spark your fire. It's working. Absolutely, absolutely <laughs> working. Thank you so, so much. We'll see you. All right, all right. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.